have a Bible nearby, let's go to John chapter 8. So we continue through Lent together. Luke 9.23 has been our framework uh, up until this point, and we'll continue that way. We took a week and looked at what Jesus has to say in that verse, uh, which involves anyone who wants to be just like him. He invites them to come on. And so in that culture, you would follow after a rabbi, and you would, as a teenage boy, that was, that was what following after, coming after, that's what it meant. Uh, you would follow a rabbi around, and you would, you would listen to everything that they said, and you would watch everything that they would do, and then you would make it your goal to imitate every word, uh, every inflection, every action, everything about them you wanted to fully embody um, that rabbi. And so Jesus, is, it's this open invitation. So if you want to be, if you want to come after me and learn to be like me, here's what you have to do. Um, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. So we spent a week, we looked at the denial of self. And then we took a week and looked at taking up our crosses daily. And now we, uh, last week we arrived at the follow me part. And um, so when it comes to following him, uh, last week we just kind of took, took a, an encounter and kind of placed ourselves in, in the camp of followers of Jesus, that if we had been following after him, after him what would it have been like to, to be in that experience with him? What, what could we listen to him say? What could we watch him do? And, and how could we imitate him in, that, in those ways? And the real just practicalities of, of what does it mean to, to let Jesus teach us to be just like him? And we're going to do that again tonight, and we're going to do that again next week. And so all this is, is assuming that we have denied ourselves and are taking up our crosses daily, meaning that we have, have basically just surrendered everything about our lives to Jesus, that we have surrendered self and every claim that we have to, to any sort of rights and privileges, any sort of uh, agenda for our own lives, any sort of... of attachment to our own egos and pride and self-reliance, that anything pertaining to ourselves, we have said no to that because we are, because um, that is a part of our old nature, our old lives, a part of what died on the cross with Jesus, uh, that we have, have said no to ourselves in that sense. And we're also assuming that when it comes to taking up our crosses daily, that we're fully embracing um, the will of God for our lives. So that means that there are no... Um, there are no attachments to our own plans, to our, our own uh, dreams for our lives. We've said, I don't, my life is not my own anymore. It's whatever you want me to do. So um, my plans were this, but whatever you want to do with my life, God, it's, it's up to you. I'll do anything. There's, there's no attachment to that agenda. There's no attachment to um, relationships. There's no attachment to, to money or to possessions. There's just nothing that we're clinging to so tightly that it would keep us from being obedient to our Savior. So we're assuming that that's where all of us are, that we are, you're, that you're, you're there, but you're also being brought there by Jesus. And that's a part of discipleship with, with, um, with Christ, is that he's not saying you have to get all this stuff straight before you can follow me. What he's saying is 
Um, you, you need to be ready to, for me to make you into this kind of person. You need to be ready to be made into the kind of person that says, I don't, I don't care what, uh, what everybody else thinks I need to do with my life. This is what my Lord and Savior is leading me to do. You need to be okay with that. You need to be okay with the fact that, that you might let some people down in their, in their opinion. You, might be, you need to be okay with the fact that, that maybe that college degree that you worked so hard for may not be where he ends up bringing you, and that you need to be okay with that, and your parents need to be okay with that. You, you may think that your life uh, needs to look a certain way by age 25 and a certain way by age 30 and then 35 and whatever. You'd be okay with just wiping all that stuff clean and saying, life is not mine, life is his, and whatever he wants to do with it, totally up to him. Okay? So let's assume that, that we're being made into those kinds of people, and a, a part of how he makes us into those kinds of people is that we come after him, we follow after him, we listen and we watch and we imitate. And so we're going to jump into this story tonight and do kind of like we did last week, kind of pulling out some of those things that we're hearing and seeing and what that looks like and let him teach us. So we're going to start actually the verse before chapter 8. So this would be John seven fifty three technically. It says, They each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. I'm sorry. Now in the law, Moses commanded us. Yeah. Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. All right? What a great, what a, just what a, how beautiful that we have this, you know? So let's, so let's um, assume that, that we are wanting Jesus to make us into those kinds of people, that we may fully embody Christ-likeness in every possible way, that we've been following after him, that we are a part of the, the crowds, the multitude, that it says in verse 2, uh, all the people came to him and sat down and he taught them. So let's assume that we're in that group. And Jesus is, is teaching us. And then uh, the Pharisees come busting in. They have this woman with them. Um, aside from, from their motives, because it says in verse 6 that they were trying to, they were trying to trick him, basically. Uh, because they knew, uh, they obviously they knew that he was... He was going to probably say something that was not consistent with the law and, and what Moses had said. And then they could like, um, basically like discredit him as a rabbi and all this kind of stuff, whatever. They're trying to trick him into whatever. So we know, we know that. We know that that was their motives based on that verse. But, but let's, let's look. Let's say we're sitting there, and they walk in, and this, this is what they say in verse 4. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. 
Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? All right? That's what we as the listeners have heard. And when we're, when we're going through the scriptures like this, like a part of what we, what we need to do as disciples is let Jesus teach us through the Bible. That's why in community group, um, we, we sit around the scriptures and we, like, there's, like when putting the discussion together, there's always like we read a text and a lot of times the very next question is like, okay, what stands out to you when you read that text? What jumps out at you? What do you think this means here? In your experience, how has this worked out? Because, because the Spirit of God in, like, infuses the Scriptures, and, and He actually literally teaches us through the Scriptures. So just like Jesus is sitting there uh, in this story, and He's teaching them Himself, He teaches us through the Holy Spirit when we are in, in the Scriptures, whether that's corporately or whether that's you in your room by yourself. And so what I'm doing here tonight, what we do in community group together, what you hear anybody do, it, it's, everybody can do this. Like it's just, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, magical about it on behalf of whoever's teaching, but there is something supernatural that happens whenever we get into the Scriptures together. So uh, a part of what we're trying to do is always be teaching each other and learning how to get in the Word together. So, so if we place ourselves as listeners, we've just heard these people come in and say, Moses says we need to stone this woman because of the crime that she has committed. Uh, what do you say? And so as listeners, we have to kind of read between the lines and figure out, okay, there's, there's more going on here than just this question. Because their very question brings out some pretty, pretty amazing implications. Okay? And I wrote down four of them, and there's more we could probably come up with or whatever. But here's four that kind of stood out to me in my studies of it. One um, is, is the, the implication that that there are different standards for different people. Because you notice, they don't bring in the woman and the man. They just bring in the woman. Now, if you go back and you look at what Moses said and how that was carried out, there's more to it. But it was never, it was never the kind of thing where the, the woman needs to be punished, but the man, he can just, he's, he's fine. We just won't worry with him. But that's how they have begun to apply it. So we don't know what happened to the guy, but they bring in this woman. So the implication in their question, one of the implications of their question is the fact that she is somehow being judged by a different standard than the man. Okay, That's, that's implied there. Um, another implication that is there is that, um, that this, is, this is how we do things. This is kind of how it works. This is how, the, this is, like, in our religious structure, this is, this is how things roll. And, and so you're either going to go along with, the, with our traditions and our understanding or whatever, or you're going to go against it. But there's a little bit of just, like, this, this is how it is with us. That's kind of a second implication. That might not make a lot of sense, but maybe it will as we keep going. The, th- kind of the, th- the third thing I wrote down was that uh, they understand, these Pharisees, they understand it as their job to judge and carry out the punishment. Like, they think it's on them. Like, like no, 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 like, we're the, we're the moral compass, you know, like, we're the ones that keep everything straight, and so this woman is messed up, and so we're going to uh, make an example out of her, and we're going to, whatever, we're going to carry this out, because that's, that's what we do. It's our job to judge and to carry that out. That's kind of the third thing. The fourth thing that's implied by what they're asking is that, is that you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. 
So, okay, she was caught in this act, and so she deserves to be killed. That's how, that's how it works. That's how the religious infrastructure that everybody in this, everybody that is seated there, that is how it works, is you get what you deserve. Right? The punishment fits the crime. And so those are, those are four things that are kind of read between the lines uh, that just by their question, we kind of see that there's like something weird going on. Now, so, okay, so as listeners, we hear that, and let's say as modern-day listeners, we read, we read that, and we start to really kind of think, okay, well, how does that fit into like, life currently? Well, all four of those things are lies that people live under today. You know? People that you and I know, people that you work with, people that are in your families, people that who, who you're, you're friends with, those four things keep people at a distance when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to church, when it comes to whatever, because, because these things still exist. This is not just an, an ancient set of circumstances. This is real life for us. You know, think about the first one. There's different standards for different people. Okay? That the, the woman's sin was somehow worse than the man's sin. Well, people think about that today. If you were to have a, have a, a scale of like 1 to 10, like where would you put this particular sin or this particular sin or whatever, they would be all, all across the map, you know. Telling a lie is not as bad as murder, you know. Cheating on your taxes is you know, not as bad as cheating on your spouse, you know, or whatever. I mean, we kind of put all those things in different places, but the reality is it, it's, it's all sin. There are different, uh, different ramifications. There are, are different kinds of pain and different basically just ripples that go out and, and hurt people and hurt you from, from different things. But the reality is that like, sin is sin for us. Um, but people think that, that what we see here is still kind of existing. That some people are worse than others. Or maybe you're not quite as bad as somebody else. I mean, you wish you were as good as this person, but at least you're not as bad as that person, you know, whatever. And so we kind of live, there are folks who, who that's really how they think, and that keeps them at a distance. So that's a lie. So what Jesus has to say to that question is important, because we need to know how our rabbi responds to that question, is are there different standards for different people? Um, the second thing when they say, this is, this, is how, this is how we do things. This is the normal order that we carry things out. Uh, there are people whose, whose understanding of church and how church works keeps them from ever like, just darkening the doors. And you know it, I know it. Some of you used to be those folks you know, who were, were like, no, I, I, I don't want anything to do with that, that deal. You know? I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, you know, that kind of thing. And so... That's one of the lies that are in our culture that we live under is that, that the church and Jesus are like com- com- just nothing alike. Instead of the reality that Jesus is making the church in, like more and more and more and more into like what looks just like him. You know, the more we follow after him, he's making us there and we're in process and there's so much, so much to it there. But there is that lie that exists out there that this is just how we do things and it's very rigid and very formal and there's just no... Uh, there's just no other way about it. It's just how it's going to be. So what Jesus said is that is really important. Uh, the, the third thing... Um, what's the third thing? Sorry. 
uh, oh, that, that we are the judge and it's our deal to carry things out. This is kind of related to the number two in the sense that, that um, we a lot of times think that, that we, the church, we church leaders and preachers and whoever, like it's our job to, um, to be the moral compass for people. That we're the one, we, we, we take care of the judgments and we carry things out. And that's, like, that's the role of the church. When in reality, you know, that's not the role of the church. The role of the church is to be the bride. Is to come after Jesus and let us be made into more and more into his image. Renewed in knowledge of our creator for him to, to, um, to let our, our, uh, our minds catch up with our hearts. Right? New heart, old mind. So we're, our minds are being renewed. And, and for us to be faithful to Jesus. And for us to be consistent with, with our own holiness. So to live righteous lives. And for us to, to point to him, at him as the judge as the bottom line, as the one who has final say over all things. Um, we should be d- directing people to him instead of saying, like, no, no, we got this. We know how to handle this. We're going to do whatever. And that keeps people at a distance. So that, important, that question is very important. Um, and the fourth thing, that you get what you deserve, that might be the biggest one that keeps people just away as they feel like, um, I've just done too much. If you, if you only knew... If you only knew like my life, my thought patterns, my history, my whatever, if you only knew, uh, then you wouldn't be wasting your time because Jesus just doesn't want something, he doesn't want anything to do with someone like me. You know? And so that whole idea of karma just pervades our culture, whether you want to call it karma or not. And people try to, to bring that into uh, conversations about Christ. And even though it doesn't fit, to some people it fits in, in their mind and that keeps them at a distance. And so these lies are just, they're here. They're present. They're a part of life for us today. So when they ask that question to Jesus, our ears should perk up in 2012 because what he has to say about that matters absolutely 100% to every one of us here and to every person that we know. What he has to say about it is of just vital importance. So, so there we are. So we're listening. We hear that question, and we're like, what's he going to say? Because you know? think about it. Think how, about how awkward that was. You know? Bring the lady in. They say all that. She's standing there. feeling who knows what. I mean, mo- most of us would just project what we would be feeling onto her. So just even though that's, like a, that's not a good habit to ever be in, but just do it for a second. Project onto her how you'd be feeling if you were in her shoes. Not a good, not a good moment. Not a comfortable moment. It's awkward. And those are that, I mean, Jesus shines brightly all the time, but I love Jesus in the awkwardness. He's just brilliant. And so, so we've been listening to this point, and so now all eyes go to Jesus, and so now we get to, we're either going to listen or we're going to observe, but something's about to go down. And, and what does he do? Verse 6, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Nobody would have seen that coming. Nobody. It's one of those times where we see, like, Really? What's he doing? What did he write? That's everybody wants to know. What did he write? 
Maybe he drew a picture. Uh, maybe he did math. Maybe he wrote in English. And they're like, what are those weird looking letters? You know, I mean, who, who knows what he did? And it really doesn't matter what he wrote. Maybe one day on the new earth, you'd be like, Jesus, I, I got to know. What did you write? Uh, so let me, th- let me just throw out the best explanation that, that I have heard. And, the, and, the, and there's just no way of knowing. It, there's just no way of knowing. Okay? And so please just, just take this as, as a shot in the dark, but I think, but I love it because I, I really think it's right. I uh, heard a, a pastor one time say that in, when Jesus bend, bends down and starts doodling in the dirt, that he was praying and asking the Father, how, how do I answer this? What do you want me to say? And I think that that explanation is, is so good for us on so many levels. And so um, let, me, let me just exp- expand on that a little bit. And if I'm wrong, then I'll find all of you one day in eternity and say, I'm sorry, but on that last night at the BCM, I did this or whatever. But let's, let's, just, let's just chase this a, a little bit. Let's say that he, he was, he, let's just say that he bent down and he wrote and he was asking the Father, what do you want me to say? He was trusting the Spirit to give him words to handle that moment. Because this moment is too important for all those disciples and for these bonehead Pharisees, for that precious woman. This is too important. What do you want me to say? So Jesus, being slow to speak, beautiful quality, kneels down, let's say that he was praying. This exposes something very important that we need to keep in mind about Jesus. So Jesus, uh, second member of the Trinity, uh, existed from the beginning, um, left heaven, was, and took on the form of man, like be, not form it, but became a man. He was 100% God, and when he was... Man, he was also 100% man. He, was, he has two natures. 100% God, 100% man, coexisting at the same time, all the time. All right? So, uh, we, and I, I, I taught on this you know, a while back, but I think it's something we need to keep revisiting because it's too easy to just dismiss things about Jesus. Be like, well, I mean, he was Jesus, of course. You know? Of course he gave the perfect answer in this scenario. He's Jesus. The, the two natures of, of Jesus, he's existing as fully God, fully man. But he, in humility, lays down uh, access, or whatever you want to think of it, to, to his like, 100% divinity. All right? Like it says in Philippians 2, that, that um, equality with God was not something to be grasped, like, as, like to hold on to. That in order for the plan to go forward like it needed to with him coming to earth, he would humble himself. A part of that was that God would God becoming a man, having to live here. But, the, but another side of that is that he would, would not just walk around like just like full on like God stuff all the time. That he, he, he laid that down. And so what that means is that Jesus walked the earth the same way that you and I walked the earth. 
He didn't walk around being like, I'm God, I'm God, I can do this and this and this. He walked around having humbled himself, laying down that divine nature and saying, I need the Spirit to guide me. I need the Father to show me what to do, where to go, what to say, when to shut up, when to speak, when to just leave somewhere, when to bless people, when to heal somebody, when to not heal somebody. All those things, he was 100% reliant on the Spirit of God to show him how to handle everything. And so in Galatians 5, if you were in community group this week, we talked about living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, that, that in, in every moment of every day, the Spirit of God is with us to, to step us through every situation. And by stepping us through, when we listen to Him, He also creates a pattern of us living by the Spirit, in the Spirit, and saying no to the flesh. Jesus was in the same exact scenario. And so when we pray and we ask like we're asking him to guide us through something or show us what to do, he, know, he knows exactly how difficult it is to live here. He had a body like ours. There was illness like ours. He, he had friends let him down. You know, he, at some point, uh, he lost his earthly father. I mean, he, he understands grief. He understands aggravation. He understands all this stuff, he understands joy, he understands all that stuff. He gets it. He really does. And so in this moment, if Jesus is asked this question that's of huge importance, for him to kneel down, if he was praying and asking the Spirit what to do, there is a massive, uh, how do I imitate my rabbi, moment there. We say, well, when I'm faced with something that I don't, know how to handle it, I stop and I ask the Father, I ask the Son, I ask the Spirit, will you show me what to do? What a what an invaluable lesson for us. I mean you just can't you can't articulate how important that is. That we stop and we ask we ask the Holy Trinity to step in and guide us through something. And so in a not really a side note, but I mean do you do you do that, you know? When you're faced with decisions, do you imitate your rabbi in this way? When you're when you're trying to f- figure out um, like a stewardship issue, making a purchase, do you do you imitate your rabbi in this? When you're faced with a difficult situation with family members or co-workers or neighbors or co- like super good friends or whatever, do you imitate your rabbi in this way? I could go on and on and on and on, but do we imitate our rabbi in this way? Jesus is making us into the kind of people who do this. And so a disciple listens and observes and says, I'm going to imitate him down to the most minute detail possible. And so in this story, if that's what's going on here, that's a beautiful landing point. And even if it's not what's actually going on here, everything I just said is consistent with what the Bible teaches, and so it still applies. So we've heard the question, and we have watched our rabbi kneel down. It's our dueling in the dirt. 
random. Next verse, he says, uh, verse 7, And as they continued to ask him, okay, so they're, they're bugging him, figures. Uh, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Like, that's it. There's no better answer in that situation. Just, it's absolutely perfect. And what he does is he, he takes those implications that I talked about earlier, and he just turns them upside down. He just destroys them. Saying there, there's not different standards for different people. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Everybody. There's none righteous, not one. So you have that implication in their question is destroyed by the truth of what Jesus says. And so his response fits right in to people that you know who feel that way or to, your, like, to yourself as you sit here tonight to realize that the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's completely level. Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Then, when it comes to the next implication, this is just how we do things. Jesus says, no, this, this is how you do things. He takes the kingdom of God and puts it on display here. This is not about carrying out rules. It's not about punishing somebody or exalting somebody else. This is about the king showing you what life in his kingdom looks like. So no, this is not just how we do things. It's not the role of the church. The king sets the standards for the kingdom. And Jesus has come in to say, this is the standard. Everybody's messed up. Every one of you needs a redeemer. Everybody. The third thing, these Pharisees feeling like it's their job to carry out, you know, whatever. It's like, no, no. God is the judge. So we're going to let God be the judge. And I love that so much. The job of the church is not to be the moral compass and to tell everybody this is right and this is wrong and whatever. God has given us the scriptures. He's given us his spirit. He's put us in community together. That our job, like I said earlier, is faithfulness. Let us be faithful. I'm not saying we should look the other way on stuff. I'm not saying you know, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't have a voice and we shouldn't, you know, all that kind of stuff. Okay? But at the end of the day, we, our job is to be faithful to our Savior. To be obedient. That's what should drive us forward. Not, not the rules and regulations that the church has come up with. And not just what it means to be an American or to be a Christian or to be a Baptist or be a whatever. Faithfulness to our Savior. That's, that's it. 
What does the Bible tell us? They'll, they'll know us by our love. Okay? Not they'll know us by our rules, by our structure, by our polity, for a good church, Baptist church word, whatever. They'll know us by our love. Faithfulness to our Savior. And the last one, the last of those implications about you get what you deserve. It's like, no, you don't get what you deserve. And it's a good thing for every one of us that we don't get what we deserve. That karma has no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with it. Because if we, if we really got what we deserved, every one of us would be on our way to hell, to eternal separation from God. That's, that's what is deserving if we want to have that conversation. So, yeah, there's, you don't get what you deserve. You get Jesus. And that is a beautiful truth that we need to know and the world needs to know. So Jesus, in his response, it directly impacts us in 2012 in this place. It impacts us internally in our own sense of identity and understanding of, of who God is and what he's done. And it impacts us as we are sent out into the world to bring that message of reconciliation to everyone that we meet. So yeah, his answer was about more than, it, it means more than just to this one lady. It means more to, than just to those Pharisees and means more than just to the people sitting there. It means everything to us. So that's what he says. Verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now for a long time I thought he was, he was like, when he went back down, I was like, yeah. In your face. Take that, Pharisees. But I wonder if that next doodling was just 100% gratitude at knowing that the Holy Spirit brought words from the Father. It's just the perfect words. Just the right way. Just the right time. And knowing, knowing that those words would echo in eternity, literally, that we would be here talking about them, that saints have been blessed by the words of Christ for hundreds of years. And so then you see the, re- the response, verse 9. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Okay? Listen, young people. Young, young people. You think you know everything. And you don't. That verse proves it. The last ones to admit that they're wrong, the young ones. The old ones were like, yep, word. He's got, he got me. He nailed me. So, there you go. So Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The fact that, that Jesus looks her in the eye and says, I don't condemn you. We talked two weeks ago in community groups about reconciliation. That the, Jesus, the work of the cross, has reconciled us to God. That we were enemies, we were separate 
Now we are his children who have been adopted into his family, given new names, brought near by the blood of Christ. It's huge. He says, I do not condemn you. If you want to know how to imitate him, bring that truth into the lives of people who feel condemned by God himself or by the church. You bring that gospel of reconciliation and you make it real in their lives. That's imitating our rabbi. And you know, you know people who got it, they need to hear it. They need somebody to represent the church well. They need a disciple of Christ who's been listening and observing and striving to imitate, to, to walk into their lives and imitate this reality. No condemnation. Maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not a Christian. It doesn't matter. We put, we put the gospel on display. We put the kingdom on display. And we let God use us. And then he tells her, Go and from now on, sin no more. This past week in group, we looked at being free from bondage to sin. He's saying, look, you, you don't have to continue in this pattern. And of course, on this side of the, of the cross, we know that, that he's, he's basically saying, like, look, you're about to be really, 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 really free for the first time in your whole life. So go and you'll, you'll see. Just, just don't do it again. And for, for people, they need to know the patterns that they're in. They're, you're not stuck in that. Jesus came to free you from that junk. So we imitate our rabbi, rabbi by bringing that message into their lives as well. And you take people who are they're just miserable, they're stuck, and they feel like they're, they're trapped to it, and say, you know, you, there is another way. If they're a Christian, then that conversation goes this way. And if they're not a Christian, the conversation goes this way. But the starting point is, you, you don't have to continue like this. There is freedom from that stuff. That's imitating our rabbis, not being afraid to have that conversation. So you get to those moments, and you have your own version of doodling in the dirt, being like, what do I say? Spirit, I need you. Give me some words, give me some words, give me some words. And when he gives them, you speak them, and you imitate him, and you trust that he's going to use that however. So... If we have surrendered everything, and we're letting Jesus make us into people that are just like him, we take this out as we go, right? That's, he's given us this message to go. But I found, for me, and probably you found this as well, that uh, I don't really take a message to somebody else, a message like this, that I haven't processed through as applied in my, in my own life. That if... If I feel condemned, I'm not going to go somewhere else and say, oh, don't worry, you're, you're not condemned. If I don't feel like Jesus has freed me from sin, I'm not going to preach that to somebody else. The more we understand it and, are, and the, the deeper our roots drive down into these truths, the more faithful we are to carry that into other people's lives. And so what's awesome, and it's kind of like last week, is that what Jesus tells this woman, he also... He also tells us. So once again, 
we are the woman in the story. That if you are a Christian and you are here, Jesus himself says to you, I don't condemn you. I'm not mad at you. Quit, quit hiding. Quit pouting. Quit whatever. Just go. Live in freedom. Go and just don't sin anymore. Like I've freed you from it. I've given you my spirit to do Come on. You can do this. Because I live in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do anything. That's, that's it. And so, if we're going to faithfully imitate Him in the lives of others, we have, to, we have to receive those truths into our own lives. So if you're a Christian, let Him speak that to you. If you are not a Christian, and you are here, the same message of, of there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's for you. That Jesus wants to forgive you. He died on the cross to free you so that you could go and sin no more. That's, that's what, and so when, when Jesus says, come unto me, he's speaking to people who are just tired of trying to do it the religious way and this and this and this and this. He's saying, just come to me. Just come to me. It's an open invitation. So Christian or non-Christian, the, the processing point for us is the same. Is, am I, I going to receive the message from Jesus? There's no condemnation. And we can go and leave these sinful patterns. I don't know what you're going to do with it. That's between you and Jesus. And if you've been with us for a while, what we typically do is we pray a little bit and we sing some, some songs and we just kind of just, just respond however we see fit. And so that's what we're going to do. So let's pray. God, thank you for, um, thank you for this story. Thank you for making sure that uh, that we that we have it in front of us. We thank you that we can can have the scriptures that we can listen and we can watch. And that you infuse those, you make them come alive, and you you teach us, you correct us, you warn us, you build us up, you prepare us for every good work ahead. Lord, we, we all need to, we, need, we just need deep roots in these truths. And even, even though like, there's, there's things that we have heard and are familiar with and, and even are grounded in already, there's, you, just, you can't go deep enough with this stuff. So I pray that tonight we would we'd be just faithful and open and let you speak to us as we go from here tonight that you would continue to teach us whatever you want, but that we just focus in on you telling us that you don't condemn us. For Christians here tonight, we don't live under condemnation. We live in freedom. That you died to set us free. And for those who are not believers here tonight or are unsure or whatever, I pray that, God, that you just you would just interact with them in this time. And that you would push them into conversations after we're done tonight. That, that that would just create opportunities for us to make those connections. But, but for now, our connection is with you and only you. So would you speak in these times, help us to process this for a few minutes. And as we stand, Lord, would you just, uh, you just ignite something as we begin to sing tonight.